You're listening to How I Sell, a podcast built for early career sales professionals. You'll hear stories, best practices, and guidance from top sales leaders on what it takes to become a sales superstar. Today's episode is made possible by Ramped Careers. Ramped is on a mission to build the next generation of workforce-ready talent. Hey everyone, joining us today is Jen Spencer, Vice President of Sales and Marketing at Smartbook Media. In addition to being a seasoned sales and marketing leader, Jen is a mentor to many, many SDRs and BDRs and is committed to empowering the next generation of sales professionals. Thank you so much, Jen, for joining us today. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm excited to chat with you. Jen, for those that don't know you, who is Jen Spencer? Oh my gosh. You mean when I'm not a crazy person? I'm the vice president of sales and marketing at Smartbug Media. We're an intelligent inbound marketing agency helping our clients with revenue growth. I also a founding coach at SDR Nation, where I mentor um, our members around the specific topic of understanding your buyer persona and the 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 impact that your buyer persona has uh, in your sales process as an SDR, um, and uh, and when I'm not working or volunteering or speaking or mentoring uh, other individuals, I'm also the mom of twin teenage boys. Uh, they're juniors in high school, so uh, that keeps me pretty busy too. How do you find uh, more than 24 hours in a day, uh, in a day Jen? Uh, you got you to gotta share some tips with us. That is a, a, a busy, busy, hectic schedule. Uh, so uh, very impressive. Yeah, no, I, 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 don't, I don't know. I'm still working on a way to kind of freeze time and space. So that's, that's, <laughs> that's amazing. Uh, you know, one of the things that, uh, that I've been dying to ask you, uh, and, and just, just kind of looking at your journey and your trajectory is, is where you started. It's super interesting. You spent a bit of time language arts. You were, you were a teacher when you started. Is that right? Yes. Yes. I taught, I taught high school language arts, um, and theater arts as well. What piqued your interest in that when, you know, when you went through it, uh, how did you get started? I'd love to kind of go back in time and, and, sure. and, and and, and learn a little more. Yeah. Oh gosh. So I, I actually originally went to school, went to college, uh, with the intention of getting a degree in journalism and I had the perfect scenario played out, right? Like I'm going to get my bachelor's in journalism. I'm going to go get my master's, um, in like, uh, in some kind of like theater criticism, and I'm going to go be a, a theater critic for the New York Times, right? Easy peasy, right? Like <laughs> that was my, my plan. Um, and when I got to college, I realized that I didn't have actually have to have a journalism degree to be a journalist. Mm -hmm. Uh, I needed to be a strong writer and a good communicator and a strong listener. Mm -hmm. And I also found that I was having, I was really enjoying coaching the other students in my dorm, helping them with their essays, helping them with a lot of the analyses that they were doing for their English classes. And so because of that, and because of how much I was loving those composition and those literature classes, I decided to switch to this major that I kind of created called Extended English, which was a focus on drama, journalism, and classics, but with uh, a bachelor's in secondary education. And I always thought that I would never be a teacher for my entire life. Like I would never be like a, a high school educator. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't, that wasn't why I got into it. It was, it seemed like the best path at the time mm -hmm. in order for me to keep doing what I loved, which was reading text, analyzing, composing, and then also coaching and helping others. That's interesting. So that's, that's really how it, how that all got started. 
and, and you've always kind of been drawn to to teaching others and, and mentoring others from uh, from a very early age. What do you think influenced um, influenced that for you? I mean, if I think about this like like pessimistically, I, I guess you could say like I like to tell people what to do. Like, maybe, <laughs> like I like to, but I mean, I I'm the kind of person where if once I know something, once I have knowledge. I just immediately, I just want to share it with other people, regardless whether they want to learn or not, right? Better, but but I've also just experienced the joy and the satisfaction of really getting to work with somebody and help them and and watching them grow in their career or uh, watching a student um, really connect with a piece of text or, you know, whatever that is. And that's extremely fulfilling for me. And so mm-hmm. I just, it, it, it just kept kind of feeding me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just that married with the fact that I like to evangelize things that I know are successful. And that's just kind of part of my DNA. It just was a, a good combination. That's, that's very admirable. Hey, but you know what? The the two words that I did not hear uh, from that early story is sales or marketing. How did that happen? When did you end up in 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 that realm? I know, right? It's like you didn't hear it, but yet if you if you break it down, if like you listen to the words I used, they're often used in sales and marketing. Um, there's their sales and marketing traits, but I actually I was teaching. I was very happy teaching, um, and I. But at the same time, I was volunteering while I was teaching for Arizona Theater Company, so a nonprofit professional regional theater. And there was a program where I I basically given up like all my Saturdays for the semester to drive like a little van of students downtown to downtown Phoenix every weekend to see different types of performing art. And the whole idea behind it was to expose students to the arts um, who wouldn't normally have access to to such programs and then it's to track them keep in touch with them over time and see if they become lifelong theater lovers and when i was a kid my dad used to take me to the theater all the time and it 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 really shaped like what i chose to do and and who i who i am and so i wanted to find a way to give that back to somebody else um and plus, bonus, like I was a teacher on a teacher's salary, getting to see all kinds of really cool shows for free in exchange for giving up my time. So that was my, that was like the conduit because from there, I met the folks at Arizona Theater Company. Um, and then they had enough funding to create a position that was like an education management position that was to be the liaison between the professional theater and the community at large. And I, I saw it as like a golden ticket opportunity. Like I was like, oh my gosh, like when am I going to get to do something like this? This is so cool. Um, So I thought I can always go back to teaching, right? It's there. So I decided to go for it. Six months in, the head of marketing for the Phoenix market of ATC contacted, you know, they came over to me and just said, we've been trying to fill this PR position for I don't know how long. And we can't find the right fit. We think you'd actually be really good for it. Are you interested in like being considered? And I said, well, I don't know anything about marketing. Like, I don't know that I'd be a fit. And she said, no, I think you know a lot about marketing. So, and I can help you with the rest. And so from there, it's like, then that began like an eight year career with ATC. Um, You know, so yeah. What's what's interesting is two things. One is that you yourself had mentioned that there are certain traits and characteristics from, you know, your early experience that 
translates quite well into sales and marketing. And then the other interesting piece is, you know, your your your, your boss or whoever recognized those traits in you without you formally having taken a job in marketing. Uh, I'd love to hear a little more about what these traits are. Um, can you can you list them out for us? Yeah, I think it's 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 a mix of storytelling and it's reverse engineering. So when you're a teacher, you you have to set you set your lesson plan and you have something that the students will be able to do by the end of the lesson like this mm-hmm. the students will you know and it's that they're going to understand how to solve a certain kind of a problem or they're going to engage with a kind of approach and then as a teacher you then have to think about all right how do what are the steps i'm going to take to get the students to understand this recognizing that not all of your students learn in the same way. Like some are auditory, some, you know, need to like see a model, some like are very hands-on, you know, everyone's got a little bit of a different learning, learning uh, kind of culture that, that, that works really for them. Mm-hmm. So if you think about it from that perspective, and I go back to, all right, I've got a text like Beowulf and my audience are 15 year old teenager, you know, 15 year olds, um, you know, boys and girls, how, and, and this is a challenging text to understand, like, what do I need to do so that they can extract the value they need from this text? Mm-hmm. That's going to help them in understanding other texts moving forward. And how do I connect it to the things that motivate them? So if I've got a group of, of students that I know are very motivated to score well on the SATs or get into good college, I might like be dropping in comments about uh, like literary allusions that are mm-hmm. referenced here that th- it's going to be important for them to understand for later on. So it's it's again like it's figuring out like well what are the different drivers and when you start to like when you take a step back from that it's not unlike the marketing process of looking at who your buyer persona is what are the words and terms to use, like what kind of message at what time makes the most sense. And it's not unlike sales where you have to, you're you're thinking about that deal with the end in mind. So you want to close that deal by X date, but you have to align also to your buyer's timeline and you have to align to like meet your buyer where he or she is in that buyer journey Mm -hmm. and then help them along the way. Mm-hmm. So I just, I see those two very much in line and, and, and more specifically, it's li- good listening skills. It's practicing empathy um, and being able to put yourself in someone else's shoes, uh, really understanding like their, their, their business or their pain or what's going on with them and how, what you can offer is going to help help them achieve their goals. So for anyone that's listening, um, coming from a literature background or from an art, arts background uh, or, or having a general ability to uh, storytell seems to be you know, a good baseline skill to have in marketing. But you also mentioned a few other things, right? So you, you, mentioned, um, you mentioned having a good process in place and I'm also mm-hmm. getting flavors of analytics in there. Is that a muscle that, um, that came naturally to you uh, or at what point in your professional journey uh, were you able to kind of marry everything together? I think, I mean, it's, it's, I'm always a work in progress. Um, so, so that's, that's the case, but I, I think one of the benefits of coming from teaching and then from teaching to a nonprofit and then from nonprofit to a startup, right? Mm-hmm. Like it, it all, it all aligned very nicely because I started my career having to be extremely scrappy 
you know, and having to work with what I had. Mm-hmm. Um, and also feeling like, oh my gosh, I was, I was doing like three jobs or, you know, at, at the same time, like always kind of feeling, feeling that way. And so, and when you're in that kind of a position, you need to be as efficient as possible and as effective as possible. And so I think you, you automatically are going to, you're going to gravitate toward that data because you want to know, like, where am I spending my time? Because mm-hmm. te- like teacher, most of us really, but especially teachers and folks in nonprofit and startup, like you don't, you don't leave the day going and close, you know, closes your computer and go, wow, like I, I accomplished everything I set out to accomplish today. Like most of us go, oh my gosh, like, what did I do? Like, I didn't do anything like, you know, maybe you got one thing off of your list that day and you yeah. have to like find a way to like, you, you know, celebrate that. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think it's, it's, I'm not like a data person. Like that's not who I am. I am, I am more of a communicator and evangelist. That's, but I had to embrace data analysis and I had to embrace process in mm-hmm. order to be most effective because I'm also really competitive and I want to win and I mm-hmm. want to be the best and I want to have the best team. And all of those traits as well are really critical in, especially in sales. That, that, that makes a lot of sense. I think you've, you've, you've hit, it, uh, hit it on the head uh, with, with, with that description there. I think you're one of the few people that spent quite a bit of time in marketing, but has also been tasked with running and managing sales. And oftentimes, and we talked about this before we hit the record button, oftentimes there's a little bit of disparity between a marketing function and a sales function. Uh, but given everything you've done, what do you think of the similarities? What do you think of the differences? And then more broadly, where do you think that this is going next couple of years? Because I find it very difficult to, to draw the line. I think it's very much a gray area these days. What do you think? Yeah, um, it's it's a it's it's a really interesting mix, and I I love that I've been given the opportunity to lead both sales and marketing teams at, at a couple different organizations. And when I think about where it started for me at Arizona Theater Company, um, it, we didn't consider it a sales department. It was called marketing, but it was very much sales driven because it was you know B two C environment, but my job was, our job was like the team to make the box office phones ring. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and every morning, um, I would walk into the office and I would get like a printout of the sales from the day prior. Mm-hmm. Right. Because this mm-hmm. is before a lot of technology, um, or we didn't have access to that kind of technology being a nonprofit, but I would get those. And then I would have to like, take that upstairs to like a little office and go, all right, what, what do we do with this information now? Because every show that went by with a seat empty was lost revenue because that's inventory you can't like resell. Mm-hmm. So I think in learning marketing, because I didn't have marketing experience before I started there at ATC and learning marketing, marketing and sales were coupled together. So for me, they're like, they've never been different. Like it's always been the same. And that's what's made it made me attractive to a lot of organizations because they're like, oh, you get it, right? (laughs) So I think this, I think the functions are still, they are still different, right? Mm -hmm. Like I think about um, the marketing leader that I have working, you know, working with me at SmartBug, um, Hannah Shane, she is an exceptional marketing leader Mm -hmm. and knows how to drive demand, you know, knows how to make sure that we're aligned to our pipeline and our, our revenue goals, but also understands 
brand and the power of brand marketing and how brand marketing can impact um, your sale, the sales funnel. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I think they, they are, they are different, but having been in an organization for, I was at an organization where I walked in and, and I was, I was part of a cultural transformation for that team mm-hmm. where marketing was extremely administrative and it was considered a cost center. Mm-hmm. And the people in marketing were doing things like creating, I, I, I said, they're like doing arts and crafts. They were like doing arts and crafts <laughs> for sales. Like liter- literally, um, we don't have enough time to talk about all that, but, but I'm like, whoa, like this is not what marketing should be doing. Like yeah. we are not here to make things pretty for the sales team. Mm-hmm. We are here to drive demand for mm-hmm. the sales team. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you think that marketing um, can or will increasingly play a bigger role in conversion, even if it's a B2B product? You see this happening in the B2C mm-hmm. world, right? Um, you, you not only see demand generation, but you also see uh, product explanation being mm-hmm. a marketing function. Uh, and honestly, conversion also being a marketing function because it, it, it largely stems from you know, what kind of demand you drive to your mm-hmm. website and what the user experience is from understanding the product, learning what it does to check out. Yeah. The reason why you see, uh, you know, the need for sales is because some of the B2B products could be complex. You may need mm-hmm. tailoring. We're not there yet. Right. We'll get there to a point where everything is self-serve, integrations are turnkey, one click. Uh, do you see that happening or do you think that they'll, they'll continue to be the need for, you know, a robust marketing will drive demand, but everything after that uh, to get it from there to converting is, is, is like, you know, the, uh, the domain of sales. I don't, I don't think we're going to go to an a hundred, like a hundred percent touchless ex- sales experience. Um, any, anytime soon, if, if, if ever yeah. for everything across the board, I think there are, there are a lot of um, like products that could be purchased kind of in a touchless way, mm-hmm. leveraging automation, having a really clear, and, and it starts with really mapping out your customer's journey, mm-hmm. like before they're a customer all the way through when they are a customer up until when they churn, um, like just understanding what that looks like and embracing, you know, what something HubSpot's been talking about for the last couple of years, which is around the flywheel and having a flywheel effect to continue to drive engagement um, and for, you know, for, and, and drive revenue to help grow your company. I mean, there's, I don't, I think there, there's still, there's still a place for, for sales. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it comes down to like each company identifying, like, where's the friction that we have in our current like buying process mm-hmm. or our current like delight process it like how much is our customer like relying on something external that they don't have like how can we make those improvements and mm-hmm. that's where i think there's there's um there's a lot of room for improvement that we you know that we have to look forward to mm-hmm. um that are little ways but i don't i don't see the sales person uh that role going mm-hmm. away anytime soon got it got it i i'll agree with you there i think i think at least for the foreseeable future uh, we might we might continue with the with the current mo- mode of thinking. But to your point, I do I do think that the sales function needs to have a sound understanding of what marketing does. And there's a lot to be learned from the marketing mm-hmm. function. I, I I wish more SDRs and BDRs were were trained or at least had some sort mm-hmm. of training in marketing. Uh, simple things like copywriting. You know, you yep. see some and you train a lot of SDRs yourself. Just complex English. Nothing's written in plain. I mean, the, the way I think about it is if you, if you're not going to speak anything that way, just 
try not to put yeah. it in an email. This sounds really difficult to read. Um, what are your thoughts on, you know, I know that one part of your life is, is, is dedicated to mentoring and coaching, mm-hmm. and you work with a lot of uh, professionals that are early career. Uh, what general advice do you have for them having, you know, done sales and marketing yourself, risen up the ranks, you know, when they come up to you and they say, hey, how should I think about my career? What's the what's one piece of advice that you typically tend to share with them? I have told them too that the greatest strength that they're going to have is um, is business acumen. So regardless of where they kind of where they decide to go, it's more important that like let's say I'm working talking with an SDR, like a new mm-hmm. SDR. It's more important that they understand how businesses work and how businesses make money and how businesses lose money. Then what the latest hack tip or trick is on when to send a sequence or how many or how to space it out or like any number or should I send this thing on Tuesday or Thursday or should I send it on Friday? Should I post on Sunday? Is anyone looking on Sunday? And it's like, okay, we can get in the weeds and there's probably like some little like micro levers you can pull. But at Mm -hmm. the end of the day, you're going to be more effective if you understand how businesses work and Mm -hmm. you can make a better connection with your prospective buyer. I I laugh because I see a lot of this online, right? You see a lot of these like micro levers, uh, you see combination of subject lines. The problem is that the second someone posts something that says it works, 16,000 other SDRs will start using the same yeah. thing. Uh, do you remember the days when I say this with people like appropriate contacts seem to be like the magic word that will just, you know, yeah. send drones of uh, droves of people your way. And now I look at it and I'm like, that's got some poor SDR probably downloaded an article online on the top 20 subject lines and is using it. That's, you know, it, you nailed it on the head. How do people go about learning it though? You're an early 21 something mm-hmm. year old. Um, you don't have a great pulse on on how the world works, especially if you're dealing with complex buyers, right? Like the office of the CFO, the CIO, CTO, mm-hmm. man, it's, yeah, I'm 33 years old and I struggled to this day mm-hmm. to go on a website. And if someone asks me to describe what they do in plain English, I struggle. Yep. How can someone that's 20, 21 year old learn it? Who do you think is in the best position to teach them? I know what you're, I understand what you're saying because I, I talk to businesses every day and I'll go to websites and sometimes I'm like, I don't, I have no idea what this company does. Right. So, which is a problem. Um, but I think like take a gigantic step back. I think about I'm at, I'm back at Arizona theater company. Mm-hmm. I was doing PR. I was successful doing PR. I wanted to move into like gain more marketing experience. Um, and, and so one of the things I recognized, I knew we did a lot of direct mail and I had never, obviously I'd never run a direct, direct mail campaign. I didn't know like the metrics that we used. And so I raised my hand and asked the the team member who was responsible for it. I said, can I like just pull up a chair next to you one day when you're working on this? And could, could I, could I just shadow you? Mm-hmm. She said, sure, absolutely. And so from that experience, I was able to understand, okay, how we would target the market, like what, what zip codes we would focus on, what conversion rate um, we used based off of past campaigns. And I got that kind of foundation. Um, and that's just one example, but but, and it doesn't, did I learn like everything I need to know about business? No. Did I learn a, a critical component of the way that a business goes to like a way that a business markets? Mm-hmm. Yes, I did. So I think it's just, you want to embrace like these smaller opportunities that you have that are exist within your own organization, just to like, ha- just to like, again, like pulling up a chair, you know, using that as a, as a, as a, 
you know, as, as, uh, unfortunately just a saying now because it's harder, we can't really pull up chairs, but, um, but there are ways to shadow. And I think just raising your hand and asking um, and not expecting or waiting for someone to come to you and say, now I want to teach you this, mm-hmm. right? Like it's, it's also up to you to go out and explore, right? Or mm-hmm. like, like I wish struggling to wrap my brain around something related to finance recently. Mm-hmm. And so I reached out to our VP of finance to say, to say, I need some help under, this is what I want. This is what I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you find that people are more than willing typically to, to like help expose you to the work they do because everyone wants to be understood. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just looking for those like smaller opportunities. Mm-hmm. And also if you're in sales, you have, the opportunity, or if you're in marketing, you do, if you're doing persona interviews, but in sales, you're talking to, to, to business owners, you're talking to leaders and organizations rather than focus on your product and have like your product talk track, like, you know, in your head, really embrace, like come to the conversation from a place of curiosity, Mm -hmm. seeking to understand the way their business works, find out like, how do you make money? Like why, when you lose, why do you lose? Right? Mm -hmm. Like your customers that are like, there's probably a couple of customers you have where you think, oh my gosh, if I had 200 more of this customer, life would be perfect. What is it about them? And the more you can understand the way their business works, you're then going to be able to use that information to translate it into the future conversations when you're talking with another business leader with a similar background Mm -hmm. and you come with a little bit of that, a little bit of that knowledge. So it, it it happens over time. Right. And it's not just something you can like take a class and then that's it. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you gotta have those experiences. I think. No, that makes so much sense. I think one of the best things that I heard today was everyone wants to be understood. It's spoken like a true seasoned marketer, but it's true. I mean, you can apply that more broadly in life as well. You've done quite a bit, you know, you're clearly bright, you have a lot of experience and another, you know, you're also a female, you know, marketing leader and a female sales leader. uh, And there's not many of them out there. And I know that it's not because there, there are not enough skilled female marketing and sales leaders in the world. That's not, that's mm-hmm. not true at all. How did you get there? Did you face any challenges? Question one, question two is for all, for, for, for folks in our audience that are, you know, aspiring your next generation of female sales leaders, marketing leaders, what advice do you have for them? So I've got, I've got a couple of like quick stories. I want to, I want to share that because I think at the end of the day, you have to advocate for yourself. And then at one end, and then on the, t- on the other end, like leaders, like executives, um, C-levels need to be also advocating for those, those individuals. So here's like one example of the first time I actually had to speak up. Ab- well, I have a couple of examples of this, but I've also been told in my career, well, you are not going to be able to really dedicate your full self to this role because you're a mother and you're a mom and your kids are always going to come first in your life. And so for that reason, you know, you wouldn't be a good fit for this particular, you know, having this job inside of this organization, which is just insane. Right. Like, or, I mean, it's, there's so much. And I mean, this is about like 10 or so years ago. So I think I, I, things have changed a a bit, but, Mm -hmm. but, but I was, I was running marketing at a SaaS company and I, I discovered that there was there was an outing. Um, there was like a, a couple of outings. There was a golf outing once. Another time there was going to be a, a basketball game. The golf outing, I think I wasn't even invited to, I wasn't referenced, nothing happened. All of a sudden I'm working and like 
the rest of our executive team is like out going to golf and they were all men. I was the only woman mm -hmm. and I was so livid. I was so, so, so mad. And I didn't do anything with that information besides like confide in the director of sales, who was my friend and say like, that was really messed up. And you know, the excuse, well, you don't golf, Jen. And so why, you know, okay, fine. But with the basketball game, it was actually my CEO said, one of our board members has these floor seats and we have this and we were thinking, and they, he, he referenced a male on my team and said, do you think like he would like to go to the game? And I said, and it was with our board. I said, no, I would like to go to the game. I want to be there. Yeah. And he's like, oh, I didn't think you really like basketball. I'm like, well, it's not my favorite, but I want to be there. Like if, if the rest, if my peers, my male peers are going to be there, then, and our board is going to be there, then I need to be there too. He had this moment of like, like he had right he realized like oh that was that wasn't right so i i mean you know i had to speak up and advocate for myself and then in that company like that never happened to me ever again mm -hmm. so i think you you do need to do that i've also hired sales sales people and been told um that I, my feedback is is a little harsh um mm -hmm. that there's a bit of edge to my feedback that um you know i was once told hey you're these these guys on this team they're a little bit uncomfortable about like your how direct you are and you know maybe you could soften the way that you give them this feedback and i just like i just looked and i i said if and i'm you know i'm like 100 and 10 pounds, like, I'm not, like, like, I'm not, I'm a little, I'm also like a little person to like, yeah. not a little person, but like, I'm a smaller person. Yeah. And I said, if I was like a 300 pound, like ex Navy seal VP of sales, would you have said that to me? Absolutely not. Yeah. And I That's just like, let up. it just put it out there. Right. And it was just quiet. I'm like, all right. I didn't think so. <laughs> so about your numbers, like, <laughs> <sighs> So I mean, yeah, it's, 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 you have to, you, you have to advocate for yourself. Um, and I think the good news is in today's day and age, there's, there's enough kind of out there. There's enough social proof out there. There's enough data out there to support, mm -hmm. um, you know, this, this challenge, but you, you have to, you have to speak up and, um, and then if you're in an organization, that's not, you know, respond, like, responding to that, like, mm -hmm. I, that's where I, I tell people you should leave your company. You know, like when I meet with someone and they say like, this is what they've tried and they're not getting response. I said, well, you don't, they don't appreciate you. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. they don't value you. So you need to go somewhere where you're valued. Lots of implicit bias, Jen. I, I, I think, I think what you said is, is, is true. And um, it's very practical advice, you know, speak up. It's unfortunate that the burden is on you to have to speak up because it is a burden. Like, well, you'd rather not speak up, but you have to, right? Because right. I don't have to, I mean, yeah. a little bit, but not really, right? I never have to feel like I need to, you know, fend for my cause, things are just given. Uh, and it's unfortunate, but on the flip side, if you don't, then the cycle never breaks because maybe there are some folks where it's just implicit bias, you know, they don't intend to be biased and maybe yeah. that's a teachable moment for them. Of course, there's going to be others that, you know, it's, it's going to take a generation to fix them, but that's, that's outside of the, outside of the discussion, but, uh, but great, great piece of advice for anyone that's hearing, um, you know, it looks like you're very accessible, Jen, and, 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 and folks might, you know, lean into you for, for some wisdom uh, when, when they're faced with challenges like this. Uh, this has been an incredible chat. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Uh, really enjoy talking to you. Love the discussion on sales versus marketing. And uh, hopefully we'll see a lot more folks with uh, 
you know, literature, English theater backgrounds, uh, rising up the ranks and, 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 and being sales leaders in the future and marketing leaders in the future. I hope so. I hope so. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jen.